Hello and welcome to the latest and greatest edition of the podcast. I am John McAlevey, and I so appreciate you lending me your ears. For those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. And while this is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, it is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. Think of the quadcast as your 30 to 45-minute session of OT and PT for the soul. I must apologize, we have been away for some time. I promise you, however, it was not for a lack of trying. I just have not been able to find guests to come on. I hope you did have a chance to listen to our last episode, which was Season 2, Episode 14, Thumbs Up with Mike Utley. Not only was Mike an amazing get for this upstart, but his message was as well. It's not often that you get a chance to speak with someone that you've watched on television and looked up to, but I did, and he did not disappoint. Once again, thank you, Mike. The pleasure was all mine. Now for an update on my sidekick and beautifully, wonderfully, patient, loving, and above all handsome service dog, Yokin. Good news is he has finally been cleared to join me for work at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. While it took over two months for that to happen, he is already making his presence felt. Everyone he meets is impressed with his great demeanor and his attention to not only me, but the task at hand. This story should tell you all you need to know about service dogs and what they bring to the table. He and I entered a newly injured patient's room as I was there to introduce myself and the peer counseling program we provide. The young man I was speaking with was immediately drawn to my four-legged friend. He told me he was having a particularly tough day and asked if he could pet Yokin. I told him, of course, and brought him up to the bed, and from there I gave him the command, visit, and Yokes put his head on the man's bed, and it immediately elicited a smile from ear to ear. He thanked me and said that this made his day mission accomplished. And now for today's show. My guest, Rebecca Torres, is an artist a photographer, a costume designer, illustrator, and C5 through 7 spinal cord injury survivor and thriver since the age of 13 in 1994. In 2009, she founded the nonprofit organization Backbones. And when asked to define its mission, Rebecca said, it is to, quote, connect people with spinal cord injuries and similar disabilities, family members and people without disabilities to one another, and create a network of people working towards similar goals. I want to provide information and resources, start conversations, and change stereotypes, end quote. And that is exactly the aim of this week's episode. Because following this brief time out for a special announcement, Rebecca Torres will be here. And that, my friends, is next. For those of you that listen to the quadcast, you'll know that between my introduction and my featured interview, I have an advertisement. Well, today I am proud to use this spot to highlight a friend and a guest who appeared with me on an earlier episode of the quadcast, Marianne Hobby. She has just released an amazing new book. It is called Bringing Comfort, Hope in Times of Suffering, and it can be found in audio, 
online and print formats from West Bow Press with free shipping from Amazon.com. The book traces Marianne's journey after becoming paralyzed from the neck down. Through her faith and raw determination, she found her way out of the darkness. This story emphasizes that God has placed us together and we can lean on each other, support each other, and lift each other up when we have fallen. Whether you are battling a physical injury or supporting someone facing such an obstacle, this account provides a detailed look of how one woman found the courage to become whole again. Thank you for providing us all with a blueprint for how it can be done, Marianne, and congratulations on publishing the book. Now to all of my listeners, please bring home your copy of Bringing Comfort. And we are back. It is now my pleasure to welcome the aforementioned Rebecca Torres to the show. Rebecca, thank you so much for carving out some time to be with us today. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. You know, I must say, I think I first became aware of you and your organization Backbones through Twitter, of all things. And, you know, I'm, I tweet the shows out most often, and I kept seeing this cool logo that you had and was reading about that you were involved, um, you know, in the spinal cord injury world. Yeah, social media has been really uh, a way for us to, to get the word out and get people to know about the work we're doing. So I'm glad you found this on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get, uh, we're going to get to backbones and all of the great work that, that you all are doing uh, later in the show. But I'd like to begin at the beginning, as they say. So please, Rebecca, tell us where did you grow up and what were some things that you liked doing as a young person? I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, um, and I really enjoyed doing, as a young person, I enjoyed doing a lot of creative things. So, you know, art, and I like to, you know, watch my mom sew things, and I would make stuff for my dolls, too. I grew up with a lot of siblings and cousins who lived with us as well that um, I always had people to play with and people to create a theater performance or, you know, just always having fun with, with uh, my family and my siblings. That's great. Very creative. Yes. All right. And a lot of different avenues. It sounds like you said art and uh, a seamstress I've read about you and uh, (laughs) as you said, doing plays and putting on things like that with your cousins and siblings. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And now tell us now um, in school, were those some of the subjects that you sort of found yourself uh, uh, drawn to? Were you involved in in arts and crafts and stuff in school? I was definitely really involved in the the arts and stuff. Um, I never got involved in theater or anything like that um, because I was scared of performing. And, but, uh, but yeah, I, I really liked the, the arts. I have to tell you a sure. funny story. Uh, you talk about being in the plays and being scared. When I was in high school, my friends 
you know, were some of my best buddies who were athletes with me, they were involved in the play. We were doing guys and dolls and I was mortified. I was petrified. I didn't want to go up in front of anybody, but they said, Hey John, this could be a good way to, to get out of the house for a couple hours during the week, during the school week, you know, you can hang around with your friends. And so I said, all right, I'll be in the background. And I was one of the, one of the singers rolling the dice. And I have to tell you, Rebecca, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. I had more fun doing that. And, uh, and we still laugh about it all these years later, but um, that's, that's funny because I ended up graduating in theater arts. Oh um, wow! However, I uh, I wasn't in the acting part of it, but I did have to take acting one and two as a requirement, and it was one of the funnest classes I've taken as well. It was very. Uh, I was terrified, but it was very liberating and fun. Yeah. You know, sometimes if you put yourself out there, you, you, it comes back to you. You know, you can you, you can have these experiences that you never thought you would. And it's uh, it's, um, you know, can build character and whatnot. So that's that's something great that we both have in common. So now tell us about the day that changed your life. What do you remember beforehand in the moment and then immediately afterwards? Yeah, um, I was 13 years old, um, and it was the day right before New Year's, so it was New Year's Eve, and um, my family had, uh, we, we used to drive to Mexico to visit my grandmother every winter um, for a couple weeks during winter break, and um, we were on our way back home, and the vehicle, there was a semi truck that was passing um, another car and pushed us off the road. Uh, our vehicle flipped over. I was in the back sleeping, no seatbelt on, um, and must I? I think I must have hit my head on the top of the car or something when we rolled and I broke my neck. Um, C five through seven injury. Um, I, like I, I, that morning I remember, you know, just leaving my grandmother's house and like saying goodbye. Um, and it was a rainy morning. Um, and then the rest, it, you know, it happened in the morning. So I was sleeping, like I said, and then, you know, I was just kind of in and out of consciousness after that. But, um, you know, we were able to, we were out in the middle of nowhere. So, mm. um, we had someone Someone passed by and saw us on the side of the road and, and helped us and took us to the nearest hospital. Um, well, it wasn't a hospital, it was a small clinic. Um, and then from there, they moved me to a hospital. And then they told my, my parents that, um, that I had a spinal injury and that they really couldn't do much for me. Wow. That their best like That their best bet was to get me back into the States. If, you know, as as soon as they could. Sure. So you were um, in Mexico still at the time. You were on your way back. Yeah, yeah, we were we were in Mexico, and so Ugh. we then had to find uh, a way to get me back. Uh, we did. We were able to do that. Uh, my uncle helped. My uncle helped a lot because um, you know my entire family was hurt. You know, we were all, and some people were still at the clinic. Some had been brought to the hospital like my dad was talking to um and was just like in different places and so my uncle did a lot of you know the logistical to bring me bring me back 
to the U.S. Um, and airlift me to Houston, uh, the the medical center in Houston. In Houston, wow! And here's a um, did the did the truck driver that caused the accident did he even stop or did he just keep going? No. Oh. He just kept driving. Oh, geez. So he didn't. Yeah. Oh, man, that's unbelievable. So everyone mm-hmm. in the car was was banged up, but obviously you more so than than the others, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was like cuts and stuff. And um, so people I, I actually was not bleeding or anything at all. Everyone else was like had cuts and were bleeding and needed to be you know, taking care of right away. So did I, you know, but, um, initially, initially, um, my dad thought that nothing was wrong with me because I, I wasn't bleeding or anything like that. Oh, good grief. So, so now that you're airlifted and they get you to the hospital in Houston, what do the doctors tell you initially? And, you know, as a 13 year old, how does this affect you, you know, more so mentally than physically? I think about that often. Like I try to remember like when was the moment that I was told this and I don't actually remember being told this like news that, you know, you're going to be paralyzed, but I somehow knew. Um, But I do remember having a conversation with my dad where, you know, after, after, because he was the only one that was there with me in Houston, everyone else, um, stayed in Mexico until they were able to travel and stuff. Um, but, um, I remember one night when we were alone, like, you know, uh, like the nurses had left to be him and I had a conversation. But, um, I don't necessarily remember a medical professional telling me. I wonder if they told my dad or, or, or maybe I just blocked it out. I really don't know. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, um, I guess I, I felt like, well, if this is going to be what is like, if this is what it's going to be, like, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to make the best of it. And, and I think part of it, part of me also was thinking like, I'm going to be fine. Mm. Like I'm going to go back home and I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to beat this and I'm going to, you know, get up and walk again. Yeah. You know, that was what a mature, what a mature attitude for a young woman at the time to, to think like that. I mean, had you ever been around anybody? Did you know any people that had had spinal cord injuries or was this just something completely new and different? Um, I had been around, well, not really. I had seen someone that had gone to like our church um, in a chair, but it wasn't, it was something that I never really thought of. Like, I don't know, yeah. you know, yeah, you, like, never do. I, you know, you never like prior to my injury, I never paid attention to, to that. And, and I was a kid too. So it wasn't like, right. I didn't, I didn't think of it. Right. Rebecca, how important were family and friends to your recovery? Now, did you spend the whole time in Houston? So, so did you have friends that could come to see you? And did your family uh, all fly in? Did you have that support staff that you needed? I had my dad there, and then uh, my brother ended up coming 
Um, and then as my family was going back to Chicago, they did a quick stop in Houston able to see me, but they like, they really needed to get back home. Mm. Um, cause they were just like, you know, they were really banged up. They needed to get, to get rested and, Ugh. and stuff. And so they, they, they were only there for, I think a day, um, that I saw my mom one day and that's it. Um, but, um, yeah, it was just my dad and my brother. And then, um, a couple people that were my dad's close friends end up flying out and were there for, and, and um, and with me and like the nurses were really great. So I got a lot of, like, a lot of, I remember those, So you basically yeah. did this, it sounds like you did a lot of this on your own. I mean, you were a teenage girl now, you know, living as a, as a paralyzed person and, you know, not having like your besties to come up and talk with you about what, you know, young girls talk about and stuff like that. So that, that's no, really it tough. Was that, yeah, I was there for three weeks because they couldn't, they couldn't do surgery on, on my spinal cord because it was very swollen. And so mm. they, I needed to wait. And so I was there for three weeks. Um, I did get uh, like a uh, thing I got like teddy bears shipped from friends and um cars and things like that and so people people were really supporting and rallying behind my family and mm-hmm. me um and like um you know just helping us get through it sure. um, but yeah for those first three weeks it was Oh my gosh. So now after the three weeks are over, do they fly you back to the Chicago area? Yeah, I went to um, what is now the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, but it was the Rehab Institute of Chicago. Okay. And I was there for three, about three and a half months. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is back, uh, as you said, it, this is 1994, right? Uh, 95 now. Yeah. 95. Okay. You know, and I have to say my injury was in 1992 and I spent about three and a half months in uh, the acute care hospital at Kessler. Uh, And you said that you spent three months there. I I can tell you now working at Kessler, we have people that are there with spinal cord injuries like yours and mine that are there for two weeks and three weeks at a time. And, and the insurance companies are bouncing them out. It's, it's a, doing a disservice to them. And it's, you know, if we were really ever to is. have our injuries, we had them at the right time because they, they let us stay longer to, to work on stuff. So, um, if yeah. Was... And I remember being terrified going home after three months. I can't imagine uh, <laughs> like two weeks, you right? know, not knowing anything. Oh my gosh. And that's where your, your, your organization comes in to help folks like that out. You can see, but yeah, if there was ever a silver lining for us to have in our spinal cord injuries is it's that we had them when we did because, um, Mm -hmm. you know, now the stays are getting shorter and shorter. So now that you've done the three months in the rehab, you're still, you're probably now probably 14 years old or still 13. What are you thinking now as a newly spinal cord injured teenager? What is the plan for school and and moving forward and just life in general? My plan was, I want to get back to school because it's the end of eighth grade and it's graduation. And there's no way I'm repeating eighth grade and not going to high school. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so I um, remember they sent out like a tutor from the school so that I could keep up with my schoolwork while I was doing rehab at the hospital. And then like they um, helped. Fortunately, the school was all accessible because right before I had been injured, like several years before that, one of the teachers um, at the school had a son who was also a wheelchair user and she really pushed for the school to become accessible. And so um, that was sort of set up for me access wise. Um, but yeah, I went, I went back to school. Um, I think end of April, maybe I, I started going back to school and it was at that point, it was like two, three months left of school. Mm. Um, and the teachers were obviously super lenient with me. Yeah. And it was more like, yeah. it was more like just get through it, you know. Yes. Um, I only went to school part of the day. My, my older sister, um, who was in college, had had uh, left the school for a little bit and, and was helping us. Um, so she came to school with me as a PA for, for um, like the first few weeks um, until they found Yep. like an assistant to, to go with me for school. And then mm-hmm. um, I graduated, went to uh, the high school and um, it was just a lot of me learning about my body at the time. Yeah, I also had a surgery, a, a surgery for scoliosis one year after my injury. So that set me back a little bit and I had to wear a back brace. Um, but honestly, like I was, I was concerned with, with getting back to school and being able to do a full day of school. And then my other concern was like being able to do the things that my friends could do. Mm. Um, being one of the game, right? Yeah. And then like being able to wear cool clothes in a wheelchair. Yeah. Like, yeah. I wanted, I didn't want to be like, the kid in the wheelchair wearing sweatpants. Exactly. Which I, yeah. What I want for a long time. Yeah, you wanted the guest jeans and all the stuff that was out at the time. I remember. Yeah, you just <laughs> wanted to be part of the of the group, you know, because those were your formative years. How were you accepted by not only your besties but your you know fellow students? It was really, you know, how people say like you find out a lot of people that have been injured. You find out like who your friends are and like there are some people who you know probably didn't weren't able to handle it and sort of distance themselves a little bit and then there was people that I that I never expected to become my friend that have become really close friends that you know were just there and they were really one the next or they um you know, they would come over. Um, it kind of became a popular thing for like a group of of kids to come over and hang out at my house <laughs> with like the excuse that they were visiting me. But oftentimes I was like taking a nap and they were just hanging out in my basement <laughs> or hanging out in the living room. Nice. Um, so, um, so that, that happened for a little while. Um, mm. But yeah, I did, I did have, a lot of support from other students. And then it was a little bit hard to like, for me, it was hard when going to high school. Like I knew the kids that had come with me through elementary and middle school, but making new friends 
for me was a little bit hard because these were people that didn't know me prior yeah. to my injury. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was like, at that point, I wanted them to know that I had had a life pre-injury, a life pre-wheelchair. And so it was really, yeah, it was hard for me to make friends, I yeah. think. This to, doesn't to define have the me. Confidence. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the injury didn't define, it doesn't define who we were and who we are. You know, it's just a part of, uh, a part of who we are. So now that you've made it through grade school and middle school and high school, what was college like? Where did you go to school and what did you study in college? I went to a community college in the area first. Um, and, um, I, I wasn't ready to go away yet, um, and I went, and also they had this uh, fashion design program, which was what I wanted to major in, it was fashion design, and they had a program there that was very, like, competitive with all the schools in Chicago, and I went there, um, I, I had to figure out that, you know, I could sew and with the sewing machine and, and learn how to do that, and then that I could have someone assist me in all these like lab classes that were like three out three, four hours long, like pattern making and, and making dresses and like planning fashion shows and things like that. So, um, it was, for me, it was a lot of learning about, uh, directing and time management and, um, but it was so fun. It was just like, I felt like I finally was somewhere where I wanted to be. And like, I had, I realized how much I had hated like the, the high, the high school schedule of like, you have to be in one class and then go to the next yeah. and go to these classes you don't want to be in. And this was like all things I wanted to learn. So to me, it was just so cool. And then I was able to go on a trip to France, um, with the class, which initially they didn't want accessible. Mm-hmm. And then that, that just made me be like, Oh, I, I'm going to make it accessible. You just watch. Yeah. So, watch me. Um, I, yeah. I figured out how to do it. And I went with the class and, um, it was hard. They were right. It was not accessible. Um, but I did it. And that sort of helped me realize that, um, I could, travel more and I could do other things and I decided then to do a an exchange program for the summer to England um uh, or a study abroad program so I did that and then when I came back from that I uh, I was like okay I could go away to school and I applied to the University of Arizona without telling my parents oh, boy. I just I, <laughs> I applied and then I I think I applied in July when I got back from England. Right. And then I got accepted in October and I started in the spring semester in January. Awesome. And I told my parents and they were like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> like, you can't go. Like, how are you going to do that? And, um, you know, it was months of me just like intensely preparing for how I was going to do this. But I did it. And, um, I transferred then to the theater arts department and I had a focus on costume design. Okay. And just on a side note, um, I know uh, for myself, speaking for myself and a lot of the, my friends that I had at Kessler that had high spinal cord injuries, 
I am always cold. I don't know if that's something for you, um, but mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that Tucson weather was good for, um, you know, good for your bones and made you feel warm. I, I know it gets to be over 100 degrees out there, so um, that might not be good well, yeah. for dysreflexia and that kind of stuff. But how was the uh, how was the weather for your condition? Did that help? It was great, and, and that's partly why I had been to Arizona before, and I loved it. And then that's uh, partly why I decided to go there because it was warm, and I was like, if I'm moving away to school, like I'm not gonna go to. I had U of I. U of I is one of the most accessible schools in the country mm-hmm. um, that I could have gone to, but I don't want to be on a campus dealing with snow and being cold. So, right, um, I. I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go away and be somewhere that's warm. Absolutely. And I, when I got, but when I got to summertime, I was like, oh my God, it's so hot. Um, and I really had to learn how to manage my temperature so that I wouldn't overheat. Yeah, you can't overheat because that's, listen, we know dysreflexia is not something you fool around with, you know, it's something that, uh, is is serious and so that was good that uh that you found the climate to your liking so now you said costume design is that when you when you graduate and you're uh now in the workforce is that where you're working in that field in costume design and art yeah when i came back to chicago i was doing theater uh costumes for theater and costumes for dance um and i did that for several years um it was very difficult to, it was difficult, but also like, um, an easy, a small world in Chicago that, um, like I, when I worked with one person, then they would like recommend me to someone else. And sure. Stuff. So, um, it just was like hard on me physically to be able to meet some deadlines sometimes that like I would have my mom help me or I would have to have people because like doing costumes for a dance company there's sometimes like eight ten fifteen dancers right. in one show you know so like it just depended on yeah on uh on the show that i was working on absolutely now fast forward a little bit rebecca and i've read you know articles about you where you said the key to your recovery was connection. That word connection is big for you. And that finding the disability community meant finding technology and tips, resources, and moral support that helped you realize disability wouldn't destroy your dreams. And so is this the foundation of what and where Backbones was born? I would say looking back that my experience in college sort of was really eye-opening for me where I met other people with with disabilities and spinal cord injuries, and I saw that they were traveling and they were dating and they were going to parties and they were driving and doing all these things that that I could do too. And um, so, and being able to talk to them and have them just know what my experience was like too. So that was really really big for me and when I moved back to Chicago um I wanted that again you know I hadn't found I hadn't really seeked out community or others like me prior to that yeah um 
and the support came from my family and friends. But, you know, as you probably have experienced, it's not the same as, right. as uh, the support. Exactly. And so that, that was such a big difference for me. I came back to Chicago. I was looking for that too. It took me a while to, to form those relationships. Cause like being in college is easy, but once you're out of college, like it's harder to find, you know, and to make the effort to like go to an event or sign up for an activity to meet other people. Sure. Um, sure. So, you yeah, know, one of, uh, one of my favorite sayings is necessity is the mother of all invention. So was the founding of Backbone simply an example of that, you know, meaning that maybe you could not find others that had similar injuries with you to associate with, commiserate with, brainstorm, and, you know, just kind of talk about what your life was like? So the way it happened was I ended up going to a fashion show for an organization called Immerman Angels that they do one-on-one peer support for people with uh, cancer fighters and cancer survivors. Um, and I just went to this fashion show randomly because I was like, oh, cool, a fashion show. Mm-hmm. And I went and somebody gave me a card. It turns out it was a benefit for this nonprofit. Um, I didn't pay much attention to it. I went home and then later I found the card in my pocket and looked it up online. And I was like, oh my God, what a simple model this is. That like, you can find someone who has been through what you've been through and you can talk to them Mm. and that's it. And I was like, if I would have had someone when I was 13 that I could have talked to, that I could have reached out to like that would saved me so much time. It's like tears, like being having more confidence in myself. Like it would have made a big difference. And that really was the start to do that. And I found out this organization for months. And then finally I was like, I'm just going to call him or I'm just going to email him and see how happy. Yeah. And I did. And he, we had lunch together and talked for hours and he, he continues to be my friend today. We just talked last week and like, um, was sort of my, peer mentor yeah and you know, he started this organization because he he had been a cancer right so, um you know rebecca so that's, that's you, you, you broke up a little bit there could you tell us his name again I, we could i couldn't hear what his name was his name was johnny emmerman and the organization is emmerman angel okay okay and they were really the impetus that that um that you know, sort of that little flicker in the back of your head said, Hey, maybe I could do this with spinal, the spinal cord injured world. Yeah. that And, and also the, the, I was hearing from other people with spinal cord injuries that I was meeting that the hardest part about having the injury initially, the hardest part was going home mm. and going back to reality and not having all the resources and all the support and, and the information and where to find it right. and who to talk to. Yeah. And that we're missing that where we were, we're missing that going home part. And like, you know, we get bombarded with information in the hospital and in rehab, but like, how do you process all that once you get home? Yeah. So what would be, what, if you had to put it, you know, in a, a boiler point, what would be your main mission? What is Backbone's main mission? 
Our main mission is to help people with spinal cord injuries and their families to connect with their community. And I know that sounds broad, but it really it means, you know, finding connection through peer support, through resources, through hosting an event and, and having a space for people to talk to. Um, and you mentioned it earlier, that word connection, that really is yeah. the main, our main mission. Yeah. Now, I see where you have events and you have a huge schedule. I mean, I, I, I urge people to go on. First of all, tell us what is your, uh, how can people find you, your website? Uh, our website is uh, www.backbonesonline.com. Okay. And these events that you have, how do you go about choosing them, planning them, and how are they most beneficial to, you know, not only newly injured people, but folks who have been living with their disability for years? Well, we go about choosing that. It's really, um, I would say it goes back to the to community because often it's a volunteer that suggests an idea for an event or someone in a specific city that's like, hey, Backbone should have an event here. And I'll say, okay, well, well let's make it happen. Mm -hmm. Who's in the area that can help us? You know, are there other organizations in the area that we can partner with? Does, do we have a group of volunteers that can help, put, you know, on the ground that can help us put it together? Mm -hmm. um, but it's really been um, from people in the, in the community wanting to have something happen and don't suggest really fun things like the, you know, we've had a scavenger hunt. Um, we've had wine tasting, 5Ks, fashion shows, um, film festival, art exhibits, um, sports outings. It's, you know, and, and I think the variety of the activities and events is really important uh, because not everybody likes the same thing. You sure. know, they're, Sure. Not everyone is into sports and not everyone is into art. Not, you know, and by having these varieties of activities, you know, we'll get people to come on one way or another. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rebecca, and sometimes they'll be open to they'll be open to come to something they may not in the past. Sure. Sure. Now, who is eligible for your events and, you know, how can and, they find out where and when they are? Um, anyone can be a part of our events, and, and that's something we've um, we haven't made it exclusively for people with SCI or uh, you know able-bodied people can come, like uh, family members, healthcare professionals. Often we have a lot of PTs and OTs and like social workers that will come out too because they want to find out resources for their their patients or their clients. Um, but really, it's open to anyone. People like I think. By having a space that creating a space where uh, people feel safe to share about themselves, to ask questions, to get to know each other, we we break down those barriers of like, you know, you're disabled and I'm not, and people realize that our stories intersect and that we're we're more alike than than we are different. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you bring up the caregivers and the family members and the friends. I, I know that. In my capacity now as the peer counseling coordinator at Kessler, oftentimes when I entered the room of 
someone who's been recently injured. I can see their loved ones, maybe a mother, a father, you know, brothers or cousins, friends. And, and they all seem to have that same look on their face, which is, hey, can, can someone please give me the license plate on the truck that just derailed all of our lives? Because these injuries don't just affect the person in the bed. As you know, it affects everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like scattershot. Everybody is affected. And so, you know, that said, how important and how vital is this organization for them, the family members to get, uh, you know, insight and to get out and to show, um, to see that they can still have a life as well. Yeah, I think it's super important. It's not the person, their family, their friends, and and. And it's our entire community of, of caregivers, of, of healthcare workers that like we can't we can't live and thrive without this whole system of people helping us, right? Yeah. And um and I think a lot of times, you know, I I see when I talk to people where I even feel it when I talk to people on the phone, this sense of relief. Um of just like knowing that there are others out there of knowing that, um, you know, life goes on knowing that you can live independently, um, or that you can, you know, still, you know, find love or that you can still find a job, um, all of those things. And I think, you know, seeing these examples of other people with spinal cord injuries, um, thriving, and and doing well really helps helps the families like it, like I said it gives them a sense of relief that sure. that like oh this this isn't the end right I mean a bunch of the cliches that come to mind we're all in this together right and you know one that I sort of smirk about is misery loves company kind of a thing you know <laughs> we can we can do this yeah this what what has happened to us is awful and we wouldn't wish it on anybody but you know what it's not the end of the road I mean you can you can still do as you mentioned all these things from drive a car to to design costumes to to have events for people that uh, that bring them out of their shells and things like that so it's 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 so admirable and it's so amazing. And I, as I go back, my, you know, will be 30 years for me uh, that I've had my injury this coming August 19. And there was nothing like that for me. I, I know that there were no um, things like this that I could have partaken um, in. But tell us about how important are SCI leaders to your organization and what are their main goals and purposes in Backbones? Yeah, so this is something that, um, you know, over the years, uh, you know, I started Backbones in 2019 or 2009. um, And just like over these years, I've just been seeing like the need for uh, people to have, again, have community and and like build their confidence. And um, and we need we need us out in the community and we need us out in in you know, part of a city council or part of the school board or part of all of these um, systems. Because, like, we are, people with disabilities are oppressed in many, many different ways. And um, we're held back by, you know, a lot of government systems or physical barriers that that need to change. And it's so slow moving. You know, the ADA is over 30 years old and, like, there should be more more out there that that has advanced and so 
Hmm. you know, over the years. And, and then it's also like over the years I had been asked to speak on different topics on panels and, um, I sort of was thinking like there needs to be more people to be on on panels at conferences talking about the disability experience and talking about what needs to change. And so we started a program uh, three years ago. We're in our third year this year um, where we have uh, we select 10 people with SAI to be a part of a leaders program and they learn things like um, self-advocacy and community organizing and public speaking, storytelling, um, self-care. Um, every, every month they, they, they go over a different topic. They have guest speakers, and then they have an activity that they do um, in between the sessions wow. to, that is related to the topic. Um, and the goal is that, like, all of these people that are in the program, they all have different interests, right? And so. You know, some may want to run for office and some may want to start a podcast or write a book or whatever, whatever it may be. These are all skills that are useful and transferable to anything that that they want to do in their lives. And whatever, whatever they want to see their quality of life to be, they can, they can use this in in any way. That's amazing. Yeah. And and it's been really great to see. the participants come out of this and like, you know, get an internship or start a job somewhere. Or um, we've actually hired um, one person from our from our leaders program too, and we have another one who's an intern with us right now. Um, and so I hope that it starts creating like a pipeline of of leaders that can go out and not only do good within the disability community, but beyond regardless of their interests, because they might, they might want to be leaders in like environmental issues, or they might want to go into, uh, you know, the medical field or whatever. We, we just need people everywhere that are, that are helping make change. We do. Now is Backbones a national organization? I know you're based there. Um, in the Chicago area, but is this something that is national and these events are going on all over the country? Yes. I mean, currently right now we have all our events are virtual, um, but pre-pandemic we were, um, we were doing all our events in different cities. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we, we do, we do help people nationwide. And COVID obviously has put a big hit on everything. And as you're saying now, everything is virtual. And so do you have an idea as to when you'd like to get back to in-person stuff? Is that on the horizon, hopefully? Yeah, hopefully soon. We're we're talking about it, you know, with our board and, and with everyone that we work with, too. Um, and we're hoping for that to, to happen soon, um, especially like you know, as summer is coming or in cities where the weather is nice year round, we can at least start with, with some activities outdoors that yeah. might be a little cheaper. Sure. Um, now, I understand. And I'm sure that, um, you know, raising money is probably a big um, thing for, for your organization. If uh, my listeners wanted to find out how they could donate, is there, is that an option for them? How would they be able to donate to Backbones? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, we we definitely are always looking for for donations and funding to help these programs continue. 
Um, people can find um, our donation page on our website, which is uh, backbonesonline.com. People can also donate through Facebook. There's a there's a donation uh, button on Facebook, or people can start their own fundraiser for us on Facebook if they want. A lot of people do that. Um, and the good thing about that is that it doesn't have charge any fees for us as well. Oh, that's so we terrific. get the full, the full amount. Um, another option is to do to text the word backbone to four one four four four, and um, you will you will get like a link that that leads you to uh, donation as well. That's terrific, and I hope that my listeners will do so because it's a wonderful organization. Last two questions from me again, Rebecca Torres. Thank you so much for uh, for spending part of your afternoon with us here on the Quadcast. Um, first of all, what is the next best thing? What are you working on organization-wise and then for you individually? Uh, yeah. So organization-wise, um, we are ready. We are getting ready to launch um, a youth summer program um, this summer, which will be similar to the leaders program that I just mentioned, but it's going to be geared for teenagers, the ages 14 through 18. Um, and they will meet in the summer once a week and talk about topics that are a little more relevant to teenagers that, um, you know, like going to college and finding a job and finding accessible recreation, um, dating and things like that, that, um, that would be really helpful for a teenager. Um, and that, you know, goes back to my own experience, like I mentioned earlier, of just like not not knowing where to go and not knowing, not having other friends that I think, you know, as we're, as we're, as people are applying, I've been looking at the applications and it's very, very clear that this is much needed for teams with FBI. Yeah. Is it bringing you back to, is it bringing you back to your uh, situation? And and as you mentioned, knowledge is power, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And, but the scary thing is this, this was like, for me, I was injured 27 years ago, so things have changed yeah. a lot. And so I think, you know, I, I'm kind of excited to bring in some guest speakers, some people that are, you know, younger than I am that can sort of speak to the experience on a more, um, you know, current, more, <laughs> at a more current uh, level. Absolutely. And how about you individually? Do you have anything that you're excited that you're working on? Yeah, thank you for asking. Yeah, I um I still I still do art and uh I, I do photography and I currently have been doing some filmmaking. So I'm working on a documentary film about artists with disabilities here in the Chicago area. Um so I've been doing that, learning how to be a filmmaker. Awesome. It's been really fun. Look at you, always learning new things, right? Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoy learning new things and asking people if I don't know. That's the way to do it. If you don't know, you got to find out how to know. And so um, oftentimes it's tough to ask for help and to, and to do that, but look at the different doors that open up once you finally do. Yeah. Great. And, and Rebecca, the last question I have, and I'll give you a little bit of of a background on it. Um, I was once waiting in the doctor's office with a buddy of mine. Uh, we were up at Kessler to see our doctors and there was a long line of people that were there and it was a wait, you know, you know, when you, when you make an appointment, you're never going to get in when the appointment says you will. So 
Uh, it's hurry up and wait. So we were there and I said to my buddy, I said, Hey, listen, you know, not for nothing, but if I could snap my fingers right now, when you would be completely able-bodied once again, what's the first thing you would do? And I looked over at him and I could see the smoke coming in out of, coming out of his ears as he was thinking about it. And then it was cute. I heard from behind me, I would go out in my garden and, and, tend to my flowers. And then I heard somebody say, I would go out in the garage and tinker around with the automobiles that I have out there. And I thought, wow, this was something that was catching on and people were all, you know, wanted to chime in with what they said. So I will pose the question to you, Rebecca Torres, if I could snap my fingers right now and you would be completely able-bodied again, what's the first thing that you would do? I've known the answer to this forever. I would just like blast the music and dance (laughs) like move my entire body in every direction that I can and just dance oh great any particular music that you would have in mind I don't know I don't think I have anything specific but it's just just moving and enjoying enjoying that yeah enjoying your body moving freely right yeah. Oh, wow. Well, one of these days, hopefully for all of us, one of these days. And so, yeah. um, well, I, I want to thank you again, Rebecca Torres from Backbones, uh, for coming on with me today and sharing your inspirational story. And I also want to thank you for all the the great things you're doing for the community, for, for young people that have been injured, for folks that have been injured for a number of years. Uh, their family members and all of the people that are benefiting from the great events that you have and that you will continue to have in the future. So thank you so much for that and for joining me today on the Quadcast. Thank you again for inviting me. It was a pleasure having this conversation with you. To learn more about Rebecca Torres and the amazing work she and her colleagues at Backbones do, you can log on to their website, which is www.backbonesonline. Among the many things you will find there is a list of programs that they have, as well as a calendar of wonderful events that are planned. It really is one-stop shopping for those of us in the spinal cord injured community. Thank you again, Rebecca, for joining me today. Now, before we go, I know I like to brag about my new sidekick a lot because he's just so wonderful, but I thought I would let my friend Yoken say a few words for himself. So, Yokes. The floor is yours. I couldn't have said it better myself, bud. For Yokin and the great Chris Parapesco at Harbor Picture Company for mixing the show, I am John McAleeby, and I thank you for your time. I don't care about no wheelchair. I got so much left to do with my life.